Okay, so we're in a new series that started last week. It's going to last eight weeks, and it's looking at the book of Philippians. So put your hands up if you have read the book of Philippians. All right, that's pretty much everyone. I won't say who hasn't because, you know, just be embarrassing. But um, if you missed last week, can I just say, go and listen to it. I know sometimes we think, oh, I listened to that at some point, and then we never do. But let's try and get the whole series. And if you haven't read Philippians, read it for the first time. And if you've read it, I want you to be reading it again during these eight weeks of our series, okay? We want to really get in deep into Philippians. One of the things that we like to do as a church is go through books of the Bible. Sometimes we do topics, so we're jumping around a bit. But at the moment, we're back into a book of Philippians. And then when we finish this, we're going to kick off with John. So if you like the Gospel of John, you're in for a treat coming up. Um, Philippians is a letter. It was written to a church, so like us, in the first century, though. It's a very long time ago but very relevant to us today. It was written by a guy named Paul, who was one of the early church leaders. And um, Paul, if you don't know much about him, he's the one that had that dramatic encounter on the road to Damascus, where he's blinded. And um, after that, he, he, he comes to believe that Jesus is, in fact, who he said he was, that he is Lord, that he's God. And um, he goes from that moment on sharing about Jesus, who he is and why he came across the whole of, of the kind of area of Asia and all that sort of thing in Jerusalem, blah, blah, blah. Okay, so um, this letter he writes to this church in Philippi um, is a church that he had a bit of a hand in kind of seeing start. So as he was traveling around, when he got to Philippi, he met people. Um, so he met a lady um, by a river. She became a believer. And then later on, as he was telling more and more people, riots started. He ended up in prison. And then God busted him out in a miraculous way. And then the jailer is panicking and thinking he's going to be for the chop because Paul's gone. And Paul says, no, I haven't gone. And the jailer becomes a believer. And then we, when we birth this church from those people... Now, this letter is 10, 15 years after that. So this church has had a chance to establish, to grow, um, to have new, uh, new people come, and, and it's growing. And Paul is writing to them. Now, why is he writing to them? Well, he is in Rome, and he's under something called house arrest. Um, so in Roman times, you know, there were, weren't really much prisons. If you were kind of wealthy, then you could sort of stay in your house until... Um, you, you know, you went to trial. Um, if you were poor, you might be housed. And then there was this really horrible place, like a pit that they would put you in, where the kind of, they say the, the expression thrown into jail comes from, where you would be literally thrown into a dark kind of pit. Um, and you would just be kept there. And basically, if you went there, you were pretty much, it was just a sentence. That was the end of it. So here he is under house arrest. He can't leave his house. He's, ja- he's chained to um, a soldier day and night. Um, and this guy, Epaphroditus, has come from this church, Philippi, um, to see him, bringing him financial help, because obviously he can't work, he can't do anything. He's got to support himself somehow. And he's going to be an encouragement to him. So that's kind of the setup for this letter. Now, 
This whole series you might have twigged from this morning, if you weren't here last week, is on the concept of joy. Because um, this whole book, there's so much about joy in it. John told us last week that it's, joy is mentioned 16 times in this book alone. And um, it's a good one to do in January, isn't it? Have you noticed how miserable people are? And there's, um, you know, I was chatting with someone the other day about how awful it is having a birthday in January. That's a little tip for people. (laughs) Um, Because, you know, everyone's just fed up. They don't want to go out. They don't want to do anything. They haven't got any money. They're just going to give you the present that they didn't want from Christmas. Um, Or they found in the sale and they thought, oh, that'll do. Or they can't be bothered because they said, oh, I'll get you something for Christmas that'll be for both. So it's a rubbish time. So this is a good time to do joy. And especially for me. And as I was sitting with my friend this week, and I was chatting about this, I was like, I really don't feel very joyful, actually. This is good for me. So you can read um, Philippians really quickly, so make sure you do that. Today we're looking at the topic joy in frustration. Okay, And I don't know what you're like with frustration. It could be the smallest thing, like losing your car keys or um, waiting for a bus. I don't know what you're like with that. Or it could be something more serious, like um, you've been applying for a job for a very long time and you just keep getting those hitbacks, hitbacks, and you don't really know why you're not getting an interview. That's a kind of real level of frustration that builds. Or you've been trying to pass an exam. I, I don't know, I've got quite a number of friends that have taken their driving test at least seven times. I don't know what that's about, but, but that kind of frustration that builds and just thinking, why can I not pass this test? And then, you know, your friend is there just going, oh, yeah, I did it first time. (laughs) Um, I was, um, you know, in Ikea this week, and um, I was, I shouldn't mention them any, but I was going down the escalator into the bit where you go to the checkouts, and there's a lift there, isn't there, to go up. And there was a man, and he was stood facing the lift, yelling at the lift. (laughs) And all the people around him were like, and then someone said, you know, are you, are you okay? And he was like, I just hate waiting for things. And he clearly was not handling frustration very well. And our frustration can have a knock-on effect. When we're frustrated, we feel irritated, irritated we become angry. That can fly out in different directions, um, you know. Or you can be frustrated with your computer and you get all those jokes don't you, about chucking your computer out the window because it still won't flip and load the thing you want it to load. Joy in frustration. That's what we're going to think about this morning. When you can't get what you want or where you want to be, or how you want to live, how do you know the joy in that situation? So let's read, it's um, Philippians, it's page 1178, in your church Bibles, it might come on the screen, Philippians chapter 1. And we're just going to read a few verses. So we're going to read verse 12 to the beginning of 18. Now it's come up too, so if you want to, you can look there. Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. 
As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I'm in chains. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. Okay, so that's our text for today. You can keep it or you can look up there. So here's Paul. He's in Rome, and we know that he wanted to go there. It's a really strategic place for him. He wants to spread about Jesus, so he's targeting big cities. And we know that he wanted to go to Rome, a very inf- the most probably influential place he could go. But I doubt that he wanted to go there in chains. Now, how did he get there? Well, as part of his journeys, as he went around um, witnessing, he decided he was going to go to Jerusalem. And when he got to Jerusalem, um, a riot started um, again over him. He ended up in prison. I'm not going to go into the whole thing right now because I want you to do that in your house groups this week. But he ends up in prison. He ends up being like a pawn again between the, the Jewish leaders and the, whoever's um, in control um, as Rome is over them at that time, so whoever's the current king. And he ends up just being a pawn in this game and languishing in prison for two years. And after two years, as different people come and go um, as king, um, he feels at this point, I think, that he's about to get thrown to the Jews. And he appeals to Caesar. And so he begins this journey going to Rome. Um, and on the way, his ship is destroyed, he ends up uh, being in a shipwreck, and eventually he ends up Rome, in Rome, and there he is um, in, jail, in jail, but not, not in jail, jail, in house arrest. So there he is. And whilst I was reading the book of Acts, I was really struck that this is such an amazing story. And that's why I've put it in your house group names this week. I want you to look at that. In fact, I think it should be dramatized. If anyone wants to dramatize it, like the book of Mark, I think it would be amazing. I'd love to see it played out because it's just so exciting as you read it. Okay, so Paul's here. He's done nothing wrong. In fact, when they send him to Jerusalem, one of the concerns is, is they don't know what charge to send him on. Because they actually don't have anything on him at all. So he's been sent to Caesar. They're a bit embarrassed. They've got no charges against him, but he's appealed, so he's got to go. So there he is, waiting. And what does it say in verse 12? It says, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. What has happened to me? Now, Paul could have sat here and had a bit of a pity party, if we're honest. It's not easy what he's been through. You know, we can talk about it in a few seconds. But imagine the situations that he's been in. Riots around him, wanting to rip him to bits. 
being um, restrained day in, day out, not being able to move, incarcerated on the whim of people, the shipwreck that he's experienced can't have been pleasant. He's been falsely accused, he's been slandered, and Paul is an incredibly active person, isn't he? He's a doer, if ever there was one. And imagine this, um, he's, he's just completely restrained. He just has to be. What a frustrating situation he's in. He'd be thinking, I could be out there. I could be in the Jewish courts. I could be arguing with people. I could be giving an account for my faith. I could be witnessing people. Why aren't I before Caesar? Why isn't God doing this? What the heck was that shipwreck about? I'm spo- if you wanted me to go there, God, why didn't I just go? Why did I have to go through all that on the way? You could imagine kind of the frustrating levels that could potentially be building up in Paul, not only with others and his situation, but also with God. Why is this taking so long, God? Why can't I just go out? Why, do, why are you letting this justice situation, injustice, continue? There's a lot of whys potentially could be there. But what does he say? He just summarizes it all. He just says, what has happened to me has actually worked out for good. And that's got to remind us a little bit of Joseph. When his brothers came to him, and they were terrified he was going to kill them. And he said, actually, what man intended for evil, God intended for good. There's a great resolution there, isn't there? That whatever's happened... Actually, it's for God's good, and that is what matters. Not even harsh circumstances or frustrations could steal his joy in the Lord. And um, it's a real challenge to us, I think. We so quickly lose sight of God in difficult situations. We so quickly lose sight of what he might be doing and become so focused on our current crisis, our current situation, that we lose sight of what our true purpose is here. It would have been incredibly frustrating for Paul, and yet he's able to speak with joy. I don't think prison would have been easy for him. Um, We have two occasions recorded, one where Jesus shows up to encourage him. He's in a pretty low state, I reckon. And another where an angel shows up and encourages him. This isn't an easy journey that Paul's been on. You know, we can read it very like, oh, and then he did this, and then he did this. But actually to think about what that must have been like for two whole years. That cannot have been easy for him. He wasn't superhero. He wasn't a superhero. But in his limiting circumstances, he looked for ways that he could continue to do the work that God had called him to do. He couldn't travel. He couldn't speak to large crowds. But he did have a captive audience of one. That guy chained to him 
That's his captive audience. Now, what's Paul like in prison? Let's just have a little think. One, he prays continually. Can you imagine being chained to Paul? He prays continually for the church. He sings continually to the Lord. And he writes letters. You know, he continues what God has called him to do in the situation he finds himself in. What is important to him? Is it becoming free? Is it having an easy life? No, his importance for him is that Jesus is glorified. And that's how he can pray with joy in chapter 1, verse 4. His circumstances had changed, but the purpose of his life had not changed. He still wanted to say, who is Jesus and why has he come? Um, I heard about an Iranian pastor who was incarcerated for a number of years and uh, the American church, his wife was there and she was safe. They were praying for his release and they received a letter from him saying, I might be here a bit longer because so many people are coming to faith. And I just thought, yeah, that's a really good modern day example of Paul here saying, Philippian church, you might be praying for me, you might be worried You might be agonizing over what's happening to me, but I want you to know that what has happened has really served to advance the gospel. So let's look at verse 13. It says, As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. Paul is in a place, he's saying, you know, these people would never have heard if I wasn't here. The palace guard, I would never have got the opportunity I've got now if I wasn't in this place. So I was thinking today about how we are uniquely placed to, to speak of Jesus, to share his love, to bring glory to him to be a blessing to the people around us, where we're uniquely placed. And that might not be a place that we plan to be in. It might be not in the workplace you thought you'd be in. You might be unwell. You might be feeling alone. But wherever you are, whatever your frustrating circumstances are, God has a job for you to do. And you can do it where you are. It might not look the same as you thought it would, but God has told all of us to bring glory to him. He's told all of us to praise him, to worship him, to tell of his goodness. We can do that where we are, in our own unique circumstances. So think of Paul, one soldier chained to him, for hours. And as a result, the whole palace guard know the gospel. Paul is really single-minded. He knows why he's there. He knows what he's about. And I wonder sometimes as Christians, do we know why we're here? Do we know what we're about? Do we know as a church what our purpose is? Because when you know your purpose, you can see that purpose working out. 
Do we know what our purpose is? He's single-minded. No matter what happens, his only purpose is that Jesus is glorified. Paul is completely dead to his own ambitions. His ambition to live for Jesus is a real good example to us. You know, joy is really lacking when life is all about us. Because anything that interferes with our plans or our ideas or our ways is going to take that joy. Jesus has called us as disciples to come and die to ourselves and to live for him. So let's look at two verses, which I think Howard might be able to bring up. I'd like Luke 9.23. There you go. It says, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross daily, and follow me. And I think that daily is really important. It's a daily act of surrendering again to Jesus. And Mark 8.35. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. It's a daily activity of surrendering all to Jesus. Laying down our rights and our dreams and our ambitions. I think in the, some Church of England, they do that prayer at the beginning of the year, don't they? Use me or don't use me make me wealthy, make me poor. And they go through a whole load of things of just surrendering to Jesus. Whatever you desire, I surrender to you. And it's costly, but what do we gain? Will we gain peace, assurance, joy, satisfaction, hope? We gain, we gain Jesus. Sold out, surrendered. And it's not easy. And I was thinking about, you know, as I was preparing this week, Rob and I, we, for a few months now, we've been really struggling with childcare. And um, that sounds like a really small thing compared with global poverty. Um, but it was really bothering me. I felt continually it was on my mind, what are we going to do? And so we just didn't have... It, Things didn't work out the way we thought they would. Um, I was worried about how I was going to you know, be able to put in enough hours for this church to honor my contract. And um, I had various friends picking up Emily here and there and everywhere. And the juggling was just driving me crazy. And uh, nothing was happening. I, I met childminders. They weren't working. Um, I, I, you know, I just wasn't sure it was the right place for Emily to go. And so we were praying about this Lord, you know, and I thought, you know, God will do a miracle. It will just happen. And, uh, and, uh, but it was really getting me down. And um, last week, I, I went to see some friends of mine. So I met with um, some close Christian friends. Uh, and I, I was able to say, you know, I, I don't feel very well. I'm not very well at the moment. And, and this is one thing on my mind is this. And later that night, I met with my, my, my prayer partner or discipleship partner. And I just poured it out to her. I said, you know, we're, we're facing Easter. We've got no childcare. We've got no hope of childcare. Uh, we don't know what's going to happen. And I was crying and... And she was brilliant. 
Because she just said, Louise. And she just, you've got to have one. You've got to have a person like this. She just said, you know, God is good. He loves you. He will provide for you. He is good in your life. And she just, you know, I kind of, I, I call her my wet fish, wet fish friend. In fact, she said to me in this, she said, I'm thinking of applying for another job. I said, no, you cannot leave Southampton. I need the wet fish person. And um, I was so frustrated, but we prayed and we went home. And in the morning... Um, I just kind of got up, and, and I wrote uh, this. I'll I just try and find it for you, because I, I was just at the end of my tether. And I, and I wrote this uh, in my journal. I wrote, I surrender my will, my plans. I embrace yours, because you love me, and you want the best for me, and you are good, and you are for me. I surrender. If no options come, my life is yours. If you want me to remain at Portswood, I will. If not, I choose not. I choose to serve you and no other God. And that is what we need to do daily, isn't it? Whenever we're in that frustrating situation where we think, I've tried all the doors and nothing is opening, we need to come and surrender. And when we do that then our spirit is back in line with Jesus' spirit because that's the people that he wants us to be, that you are good, God, and I can trust you that no matter what happens, you are for me, not against me. And we need to do that. And from that, we know peace because we can let go of trying to be God and we can know joy because we remember the promises of Jesus in our life. We declare the truth that we know about God again. It's a daily battle that we're facing. I heard um, about another guy who was in prison, and where he was in prison, it was, he had to work the sewage works. The stench was so bad that the guards would be miles away from him. And it was the only place where he could rejoice and praise God. And he ended up calling that sewage work that no one wanted his garden because it was his place of praise. And I was just thinking, you know, in our situations we're in, they might feel like a sewage work sometimes. But what good things are happening? You know, that's what Paul was saying. He says, well, you know, I might be here, but the, these palace guard guys have got to know. In that sewage guy, he says, I might be in the sewage, but I can praise Jesus without any constraints. Or it might be nothing's happening for me, but I can just lay it down, Jesus, and know that what you've called me to is not dependent on my circumstances. So where are you planted right now? What's going on in your life? You know, are you able to surrender to Jesus' will, declaring what you know about him, because it's in that that the joy comes. And let's look. Paul finds another reason to be joyful. Verse 14. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. As a result... Of Paul's example as a Christian, the Roman Christians have started 
gifts sharing. And have you noticed that? How you hang out with somebody who is on fire for Jesus or has faith and joy in him. It's infectious. That's why you need the wet fish person with you. You need your person that you go to. You need your group of three that you go and you share your heart. And they say, we will pray for you today. We will do that. Because that's where you're going to get encouragement from. These Christians are motivated now. Just like if you hang out with someone who's always like, oh, my life is awful and everything has gone wrong and I just wish I could die. You come away, don't you? And I'm not saying, you know, if, if you suffer from depression or life is hard that we should ignore that. Because I certainly didn't go to my friends this week and say, my life is great. Actually, I said, no, my life is not great at the moment. And this is what's going on and I'm just going to cry with you. And those moments are fine. But when they do that to me, I've got to be the wet fish person and say, I'm going to tell you God is good and I'm going to tell you why. We need that, don't we, as a church? We can build ourselves up in other ways, can't we? The number of times I get up in the morning and I think, I need to put some Christian music on right now. Because I need to know the truths of God today. Have you ever done that? Dancing around your bedroom? I highly recommend it. Or reading a biography of a saint who really encourages you. Or someone who did something. Or a driven person. You think, yes, they could do it. And so can I in the strength of the Lord. And finally, when we're in it and we've found our joy, there's still going to be opposition. We're in a battle, aren't we? Flesh, the world, the devil is still there. We are in the battle. So just because Paul is able to say, all of that that happened is for good because this and this has happened, he's still aware that he's in a battle. Look at verse 15. He's been going on about people are preaching, that's great, but it says... It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I'm in change. As talking about Jesus increases in Rome, Paul rejoices... But there are people that he is concerned about. Their motives are not quite right. And he's not just ignoring that, but he is again able to find joy in it. He says, but what does it matter? Jesus Christ is preached. And he's going to rejoice in that. Paul could have said... It's great people are hearing about Jesus, but I'm just so concerned and discouraged that there are people in the mix that are so wrong in their motives, such dangerous people. He doesn't do that, does he? No. He says something joyful. But what does it matter? Verse 18. The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached, and because of this, I rejoice. Paul doesn't care about his reputation. He's not overly concerned with himself or the details or the motives of their hearts. He's going to let God deal with that. 
He trusts God is in control of the bigger picture. He cares only that Jesus' death and resurrection is preached. And the joy that he knows, knows, he knows it can be known by others. That they may know Christ and the power of his resurrection. That power that if we confess our sins to Jesus, we say to him genuinely, I know that my life's not great. I know that I've ignored you, God. I know that I've done wrong. And we surrender our lives to him and say, Jesus, I know that you are good and I want to follow you all the days of my life. That's days, every minute, every hour of my life. Then we can know that we can never again be separated from the love of Christ Jesus. Never again. Nothing, hardship, trouble, persecution, and Paul knew all about that, could ever again separate him from the love and joy of knowing Jesus Christ. So if you, ha- you don't know that today and you would like to know Jesus, if you would like to experience some of that peace, some of that joy, if you would like to say today, I'm sorry, God, and I would like to follow you, then use the opportunity today during the songs to simply in your heart pray to him, I am sorry, God. I want to follow you, Jesus. Please send your Holy Spirit to help me to do that. Amen. And that is all it is. Satisfaction and joy comes from accepting God's way, not ours, and trusting in the overwhelming love in every situation we face, declaring what we know about God, who he is, what he has done, what he thinks of us, and in doing that, we take the mighty sword. (laughs) Amen. (laughs)